the fastest the S&P 500 has ever doubled was during, it was when the COVID lockdown uh, occurred from March, 2020 to I think about August, 2021. And so what does that say? That says that we've we've separated um, value in the economy from value of work. And I think that that leads us down at um, some other biblical paths that, you know, we should be we should be laboring for the Lord. We should be making investments in those around us for the glory of God. Um, we shouldn't be extracting value. We shouldn't be defrauding others um, for our own self-aggrandizement and profit. Outstanding is a production of The Washington Stand, where you can find news and commentary from a biblical worldview. Welcome to Outstanding, where we have critical conversations about the news of the day and the ideas that shape us. And I'm your host, Joseph Backholm. Our goal with every single episode is to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And of course, the goal is to not think as Fox News or MSNBC want us to think, but as God wants us to think literally about everything. That's the exercise that we're engaged in here. And we, of course, talk around the political space often because we're in Washington, D.C., and that's what we do. And we're all familiar with the idea that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we have this sense that power goes to the head and makes people do crazy things that they wouldn't otherwise do. Well, there's new legislation in Congress that seeks to restrain corruption in perhaps a new and interesting way. Strange bedfellows, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Matt Gates have partnered together to introduce the Bipartisan Restoring Faith in Government Act that would ban members of Congress from owning or trading individual stocks. Now, why in the world would this be necessary? Of course, you don't lose your rights as an individual just because you run for Congress. But have we reached a situation where people in Congress are using their positions of power to cheat and financially profit from it. Here to help us break it all down is Matt Carpenter, the director of FRC Action, who's just written a great article about this uh, for The Washington Stand, which you can find at WashingtonStand.com. Matt, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Joseph. Great to be back with you. Well, this is an interesting kind of niche topic, but I think it raises a lot of issues uh, worth considering. Now, it's common to hear stories about people entering Congress relatively poor, but by virtue of being in Congress, they end up uh, not being poor anymore. Is that actually a real phenomenon? Well, Joseph, if the financial disclosure statements that members of Congress tell us themselves are accurate, um, then absolutely that seems to be the case. And it, you know, I think it doesn't take much digging to see that members of Congress do seem to be able to grow their their assets, their income, their um, you know stock portfolios, their bond holdings, all these sorts of things uh, substantially upon entering Congress. And uh, I'm grateful that this story is getting some traction. I've seen this on social media. Uh, I think Americans should be concerned about it. I think Christians should be particularly concerned about it. Um, I think uh, we need to be asking members of Congress, what are their intentions when they go to Congress? You're gonna be talking uh, to people with um, privileged information and you're gonna be in a position of immense power and what are you gonna do with that? And so I think this story kind of gets at the heart of, of the character of individuals who are electing to Congress and how they're spending their time here in Capitol Hill. 
you know, your article specifically deals with stocks and and we're going to get into the details of that. But are there are there patterns to how people end up amassing wealth while holding public office? Because I imagine if people develop platforms, they can end up writing a book. And I'm not going to begrudge anybody the opportunity to write a book and make some money on it. If somebody, you know, if a publisher wants to publish uh, your book um, and you get speaker fees, if you have some kind of a profile. So it's not necessarily wrong, of course, to make money and to save money. And frankly, we want people to save money. Um, So is there like this common path that members of Congress that politicians walk, and again, we're talking the federal level right now because I don't know that this is true at the state level. That's a totally different dynamic. Right now, we're talking at this at the state level. Is there a pattern to how people end up amassing money over long periods of time? It seems like uh, well, here's here's the, the initial problem. The initial problem is the financial disclosure forms, which all members of Congress are required to do every year. Those come out at a certain date, and so you're sort of in this position of having to then piece it like look backwards and kind of piece together what was going on when, right? Uh, one famous instance uh, that I mentioned in the article is a former Speaker Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan. You'll recall in 2022, before the Democrats lost the Speaker's gavel in the midterm elections, uh, then Speaker Nancy Pelosi jumped on a jet and flew to Taiwan to meet with uh, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company's chairman, Mark Liu. And now, and then it came out afterwards that uh, after that meeting, uh, then Speaker Nancy Pelosi went and bought millions of dollars worth of call options for NVIDIA, which is a, a American-based um, software uh, company that also designs the microchips manufactured at, at TSMC in Taiwan. And so it begs the question, Joseph, you know, was those millions of dollars of, of investment that Nancy Pelosi made independent of anything she learned on her trip to Taiwan? And now I don't have the answer to that question, but uh, I'm a thinking person and I believe where there's smoke, there's fire. And so, you know, an, an inquiring mind might want to, to ask the former speaker some some pointed questions about that. So I don't know if that if that work's been done, if that's in the pipeline, but I would hope that that someone in Congress, someone uh, in, a, in a position of authority would would ask former Speaker Pelosi some of those questions. Well, that's the kind of thing that people would be suspicious of, because obviously, you know, you and I do not have the opportunity to go have a meeting with NVIDIA before we decide right. if we want to buy their stocks. And so it is not beyond the extent of our imagination to think, oh, maybe she learned something about the company's dealings that uh, made her interested in them as an investment information that the general public uh, did not have. And then she acted on that and, of course, uh, would benefit uh, from that. Now, yeah, and let me just let me just add to like, I I don't want to go full cynicism and say that there wasn't an actual national security impetus to her trip. That's 100 percent legit. But I think I think we have to maybe be thinking it's possible that a person in a position of power would stack a national security interest on top of their personal uh, wealth interests. You know, maybe we should be, be thinking of it along those lines. Yeah. Or it could even have been coincidental. I don't think we have to like assume yeah. in any nefarious like, you know, dealings necessarily. She may not have gone there for um, stock investment information. Right. She went there yep. as a, you know, then the Speaker of the House uh, for a uh legitimate public security conversation regarding, you know, 
microchips, which frankly are uh, an emerging issue. One of the reasons why we don't want China to take over Taiwan uh, is because we are essentially completely dependent, as I understand it, on Taiwan to produce all of our microchips for Mm -hmm. basically everything. Now every car has one, all of our phones all of our computers. So that's a problem. And, and of course, we should be Mike, producing those things within our borders. And I'm sure, I, at least I hope somebody is working on that. But we understand how there's a legit, there could have been a legitimate um, reason for the meet for the meeting. But she also gained information that uh, would have been helpful, just as mm-hmm. a uh, person who likes to buy and sell stocks as you know, most Americans do. And certainly, I, I would assume everybody in Congress does. Now, Matt, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about the legislation specifically that Matt Gates and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez have introduced to stop this. Yeah, well, as you mentioned in your opening, Joseph, it's the, called the Bipartisan Restoring Faith in Government Act. And it, the main thrust of it is pretty simple. If you're a member of Congress, you shouldn't be buying individual stocks or options, right? You can't be call, buying a call option or a put or anything, other these kind of advanced trading tools that professional traders use, which a lot of members of Congress seem to be very adept at using. Um, it does specifically say there's there's no, you know, if you're a member of Congress, you can own a bond, you can own a state local bond, you can own a, a savings plan, you can have a, a managed fund or retirement account. Um, you need to have an arm's length away from your own investments. You shouldn't be picking up the phone and calling a broker and say, place in the, you know, buys this healthcare stock, right? If you're sitting on the healthcare committee or buy, you know, this, uh, my, you know, let me get some Microsoft right before the, uh, uh, you know, NDA comes out and they start shelling out billions of dollars in defense contracts, right? Um, and that's, you know, as you pointed out also, it's brought together kind of an unlikely team of a progressive New York Democrat from Manhattan, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who has shaped the entire progressive left of this country. And then also Matt Gates, who has shaped the populist right in this country. Um, and it's one thing that they can agree on. They will never agree on em- almost anything else, but they can come together and say, members of Congress trading on privileged information, using the privilege of their office, and the immense power that they're clothed in to profit themselves is wrong. Yeah. And I think this is worth discussing as maybe something that the American people should be championing or should at least be, should know that it's out there. Do you think that strange partnership between Ocasio-Cortez and Gates gives the legislation a real chance of succeeding? Or do they represent kind of the the margins of their respective parties where they might come together on this, what I would describe as maybe an anti-corruption theme, but because they're not necessarily in leadership – um, the leader, the leadership of their parties is going to say uh, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, that's a good question. I know um, Nancy Pelosi herself has made overtures towards uh, banning individual members from from owning stocks. I think there was a. I, I could be mistaken. I would have to go back and look, but I think there was some kind of you know um, half attempt from her office to change House House Ethics rules. Um, to prevent members from doing that. So there is kind of like a like a like a rule process they could put in place that would do this. So it, you know, there is a chance that leadership might come back and say, hey, we don't need a bill to do this. We just need the, you know, House Committee on Ethics to just change some rules here. Um, 
maybe there's maybe they would even compromise further and change the financial disclosure um, to make it even more onerous to to even trade those stocks. But um, I think I think it's a positive step, even if it doesn't become law, Joseph. The fact that we're discussing it, the fact that you have these, as you point out, margin on it, and I think your representation is accurate. They are both on the margins. Um, of their respective parties. But I would also say that uh, that's kind of where elections are won. That's kind of how coalitions are formed is on the margins. So there's tremendous power there. I mean, you think it's about a group, a faction like the House Freedom Caucus, which I don't know, it's like 40 members, and they're able to impact important pieces of legislation. They're able to move the needle when they want to apply pressure. So you don't need a flat out majority to get something done. You just need to apply pressure. And even if this bill doesn't become law, the conversation could very well generate a policy change that would be positive. Matt, do you think people go to Congress now with a sincere desire to engage in public service? That's the term we've used for this a lot. Is that, have we moved beyond this being public service? Because you now see in the age of social media, I mean, their 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 public profile just escalates so quickly if people play that game. And of course, not everybody in Congress is trying to become an Instagram star. But there are many people who, who from the outside looking in, it, it, it seems that their highest priority is kind of building an online following, building a profile. Are, 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 do we have a significant number of members of Congress who are really there just kind of for personal gain? You know, Joseph, I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that the ones who are who have the biggest profile, like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and Matt Gates, they're not the ones who are listed at the top of the being the S and P by sixty five percent, like Nancy Pelosi. In fact, the one the member of Congress who who it, I mean, he is just light years ahead of everybody else, and he only owns stock in two companies. Uh, is an, is a relatively obscure member from Western New York. In fact, I think he's the only Democrat from the New York delegation that's not based out of the kind of Westchester, Long Island, New York City area. His name is Brian Higgins. He's from Buffalo. He beat the S&P by an astonishing 240%. And all he ever did was buy two stocks. So, you know, if, if many, you know, anyone listening to this probably doesn't know who Brian Higgins is unless he's your member of Congress. So, you know, Joseph, you know, again, I, I think that, you know, I don't want to take the cynical road here. I think there are there are people who see, you know, our country is headed in a, in a difficult direction and they see that they've had some success in business. Maybe they've had some success in the military and they want to lend their their capabilities to public service. And I think that is still alive and well with in many instances. But I do think that there is also a there's also a career path in politics where you get in there and you remain obscure and you do some work for your constituents, um, but you do execute uh, on some privileged information and you do make some trades and, and you're, you just you just crush the S&P 500. And yeah. I'm laughing because it's so absurd that, that, this, yeah. that this, this guy who no one's heard of is just, I mean, he's beating hedge funds that do this stuff you know, professionally. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's astonishing that no one knows who he is. You know, no, no one's asking him any questions. And oh, by the way, he's retiring in a month. So, he'll, you know, we'll never have the chance to essentially ask him that uh, about how he did it. You know, um, anyway, I'll leave it there. Well, I do want to get into the uh, some of the data that you present in your article. But to this point of, you know, what's motivating members of Congress, uh, we see people change in policy all the time. You know, they run for office and it's the old kind of political joke that, uh, 
you know, the the candidate meets the president or whatever it is, like the, the things that you say as a candidate, you end up not following through on as, you know, when you're actually in office, because, you know, things kind of change, your pressure changes, you're no longer trying to get elected, you're trying to, you know, negotiate all these things, whatever it is that the process of being in office kind of changes people. And that's, and, and that's just a reality that we've all observed with people who are in elected office. So is it also possible, and actually this is kind of my hypothesis at this point, uh, that people don't run for office and try to go to Congress because they think they're going to get insider information that's going to help them be good stock traders. But in the course of being in office, they discover, wow, I get access to information that I didn't have access to previously. And golly, this is actually pretty valuable because the rest of the market doesn't know this and I can buy stuff before other people can and it's kind of on a discount. Is it just something that people kind of fall into and you have to actually uh, have a tremendous sense of like accountability and responsibility and just kind of a commitment that I won't use this opportunity for that in order or not to? Yeah. Uh, Joseph, I think you're exactly right. I think um, the temptation is immense. I think a lot of people come to Congress and they don't understand, you know, and I'm not saying that they're, you know, unintelligent. I'm just saying they might not grasp the full extent, the power of approving or disapproving a trillion, multi-trillion dollar budgets can do to a person. You're standing, you know, at the, at the, as close as you can, you got a front row seat to the money printer. And when yeah. you, when you can determine which direction, you know, this, you know, trillions of dollars of taxpayer funding are going or trillions of dollars of money we don't have uh, are going, um, you can see how the economy will be shaped and you can place a bet and you can see how that would roll. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting thought experiment we should all be asking ourselves, like if we had a time machine, would we go back and buy a chunk of Manhattan, you know, in, in 1600, you know, it, ask yourself that question and then and then ask yourself if you were elected to Congress, would you be strong enough to resist the temptation to do something like that? And so then, and, and so then my, my, my rejoinder is, I think we do need a policy change. I think we do need something. Maybe we don't need this bill, but we need this discussion. We need, you know, leadership in Congress to, to enact some change, to limit that temptation for members of Congress so that the public can have confidence that their members of Congress are, um, are executing on their on their power on on their on this privileged information with their best intentions in mind. It also seems to be a great opportunity for those who would want to um, bribe a politician without bribing them, because information does not necessarily have a paper trail. And if there is a company that wanted a particular policy outcome, and they needed to influence a particular member, and what they could. Uh, offer rather than a check is some insider information that would allow that person to then go profit themselves. That seems to be an obvious way to influence uh, members of Congress without there ever being a, you know, a check written or a, a, a wire sent. You just, you know, in a little conversation say, oh, by the way, you might be interested to know that dot, dot, dot. Member then takes that information and, uh, you know, makes 250% on something. Is that yeah. how it works? Or do we have any evidence of that? Or is that just like me being creative? You know, I don't have, an, I don't, I, I'm not going to speak to that. I don't have that evidence. I don't, I have not read that that's a thing. But I mean, Joseph, I think you're, 
I think you're you're honest in asking that question. We know that members of Congress have to run for re-election, and when they when they run for re-election, they have to have money in their war chest to to spend on their campaigns. And so they spend a lot of time with lobbyists, with super PACs, going to lunches, going to dinners, hobnobbing with um, with um, with these financiers and these lobbyist types. Yeah. Are they exchanging information? <clears throat> I would find it hard to believe that, that that there's zero instance of that happening. So, um, you know, we know that these member, members of Congress are asking for cash for their campaigns. I'm sure that the interests of the business do come up not just in the context of how the government can um, can shape the market that the businesses operate, but also in terms of, hey, this would be a good trade for you, you know? Yeah. Matt, in your article, you talk about the odd yet real partisan differences in how members of Congress are doing in the stock market. Uh, tell us a bit more the details of that and then uh, share if you can why you think that might be. So in the in my article, I, I mentioned that the S&P 500 index, um, for those in your audience who might not be familiar, is, is the 500 um, largest publicly traded companies in the United States by uh, market cap. Um, so it used to be just a list of companies just to kind of get a benchmark of how you were doing when you're trading. Now it's become a, an investment tool. You can actually just buy the S&P 500. So the significance, the reason why you would use the S&P 500 as like a benchmark is because if you're thinking about buying stocks, you can just buy a couple shares of the S&P 500 and you'll do as well as the stock market is doing. Right? In order it's to, kind of an average, order, right? Exa exactly, it is. It's just an average. Now, to beat the S&P 500 is generally understood to be you're, you're an amazing trader, right? The overwhelming majority of hedge funds, people who, you know, MIT grads, you know, and Stanford grads, math PhDs, these kind of people who want to go into finance and they want to start a hedge fund and they, they meet some billionaire investors to seed their fund and that sort of thing. The overwhelming majority of those hedge funds fail to beat the S&P 500. Just to show you that, you know, if you're just an average Joe, you're better off just investing in the S&P. This is not financial advice, but I'm just saying to make the point, you're better off investing in the S&P 500 to just capture the growth of the stock market generally than you would be to speculate elsewhere on someone else's you know, novel theory of how the market's gonna move. Mm -hmm. Now, there's, a, there's an account on Twitter, uh, now called X, called Unusual Whales, which has been putting out a report since 2020 of how members of Congress have traded. And they've, they've listed all the members and kind of how they performed against the S&P 500. And we already, I already mentioned, you know, Nancy Pelosi beat the S&P 500. She, she got 65% return on her investment in 2023 just walloping the S&P 500's return of uh, 24%. And then Brian Higgins, who has the, comic, the comically large 240% return on his investments <laughs> last year. I mean, it's just, just absurd. But if you aggregate it all by party, which is kind of just an interesting metric to think of, um, the Democrats beat the S&P 500 uh, by seven points. So they, they, you know, if you're a member of Congress and you're on the Democratic side, um, chances are you, you got about a 31% return on your investment in the stock market. Um, and if you're a Republican, you fell short with about 18% on the returns. Uh, and I don't mention this in the article, Joseph, but you did kind of mention, allude to it in your, in your question. What does this kind of say about where the political parties are? And I think we're, I think we're in a bit of a, a, a paradigm shift in our politics where now the Democrats are the party of the upwardly mobile, the laptop 
class, the white collar class, the, um, you know, the, the high income earners tend to vote more Democrat. In fact, I think of all the, all the, the, the highest net worth counties in our country all used to vote Republican and now they all tend to vote Democrat. And, and now we've seen that the, the Republicans have become much more the party of the working class of, of the blue collar of the, the people who frankly, where jobs were deemed non-essential when, when the economy was shut down during COVID. So uh, I think it's interesting to see this change. I'm not sure, historically speaking, if this unusual Wales uh, report was would, would have been available 20, 30 years ago. I'm not sure how this would have stacked up then, but it's certainly interesting to look at it now. Yeah, I'm just trying to understand why that would be, because it's not intuitive to me that uh, – a worldview that makes you a Democrat rather than a Republican would obviously make you a better stock trader. Um, and it's odd that, frankly, Republicans are, as your data shows there, or as the the, the data there from that, that Twitter account shows, underperforming the S&P 500. I mean, has anybody dug into this to try to understand why that would be? And I'm not I'm not even suggesting something nefarious is there. I just think it's really interesting and strange. It's it's unexpected. Yeah. I would expect that, you know, the stock investment seems like a generally nonpartisan activity and I would expect the members of Congress to kind of do like the rest of America is doing in terms of our stock investments. Um, so is there any explanation for that difference that you're aware of? Joseph, the, the the explanation I would have would be that this is a lagging indicator. In other words, um, this is just telling us what's already happened. And if you look back on who's controlled Congress the longest, it was the Democrats during this time span, right? They Democrats uh, came in in, uh, in uh, 2020, with a majority and they held on to that majority until 2022. And so they just, they've had longer in that position of, um, of authority of, uh, you know, uh, prosecutorial or not prosecutorial power, but investigative power. Um, they've had the, the chairmanships on committees during that time. They were kind of, they were the ones who were kind of able to chart the course of the, um, of the work of government and kind of deal with the, uh, these corporations, these interests, uh, and the marketplace itself, generally speaking. So I, I just think that the the returns are just a a, a uh, uh, kind of a, a again like a lagging indicator of who was in charge the longest during during that time. And I and I think I think that the 2023 results are just a you know kind of baked in from the 20 from 2022 when all these members of Congress were still in their positions of power while the election was going on. Maybe we should send an intern on this, but I'm now curious because you could go back in time for all of the reports that members of Congress file to see if during a Republican trifecta, do the Republicans end up doing better in the stock market because they're the ones getting insider information. And if that turned out to be true, maybe we would discover some kind of systemic situation where people are getting privileged information, leveraging it in the stock market when they're in power. And then when they're not in power, they're not getting that information. Of course, now we're almost in tinfoil hat territory. But <laughs> what we know here in the last couple of years, you know, these last couple of years worth of data, it seems to raise some interesting questions. But for our purposes, of course, as we try to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and just understand human nature and incentives, um, it begs for me the question, because we're not, most of us are not in Congress and we're not going to be in Congress. 
but we do deal in a marketplace and we do deal with people. And what is the obligation for Christians when we have information? I mean, if, you know, Matt, if I know that your house, the farm that you own, um, is now suspected of having, uh, an oil reserve underneath that, but you don't know that. Is it wrong for me, uh, based on my suspicion, to go make you a fair market value offer on your farm and uh, keep that information to myself and think maybe I'm going to leverage that? Yeah, Joseph, I would think that that would be uh, a violation of of scriptural um, ethical outlining, right? I, I, I think I mentioned in my article, uh, King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 20, um, against the use of dishonest weights and measures. And in, you know, King Solomon's day, that meant, um, the, a measuring stone, right. Uh, to weigh, you know, some quantity of something or an ephah, which was kind of, a, a, a sizing mechanism. Um, and if you had differing sized stones and ephahs to, to conduct business, you were defrauding uh, your customers. And I think that general, the general principle there, I think applies today in the form of information asymmetry, as you outlined, do you have different information than someone else? And you're trying to now transact on that information. And I think we live in an imperfect world. And I, I think there will always exist an, an asymmetric uh, information, right? If you're if you're the CEO of a company, you know how that company is doing, and you know the person who is who just got hired doesn't know necessarily how that company's uh, behaving. There's an asymmetry of information there that that's always going to exist. Well, we will not have perfect information until uh, until the Lord's kingdom is 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 here on earth. Um, but I but I do think that as Christians, we should be concerned about. Um, about this abuse in Congress or what appears to be abuse. I think the, um, the, the impetus should be to remove the temptation to trade on, on this asymmetric information as much as possible. It should be to limit the opportunity for members of Congress to capitalize on their power in a way that benefits them personally. And I would say at the expense of their constituents, frankly, Joseph. Yeah. And so um, and I think that's that's what we can't lose sight of here is that, you know, I mentioned I mentioned kind of the, the difference between being an essential worker and a non-essential worker during the COVID years. Well, the stock market had one of its best years ever when the economy was shut down during COVID. When people couldn't go to work was when a lot of high income people were crushing it in the S&P 500. In fact, the fastest the S&P 500 has ever doubled was during it was when the COVID lockdown uh, occurred from March 2020. So I think about August 2021. And so what does that say? That says that we've we've separated um, value in the economy from value of work. And I think that that leads us down at um, some other biblical paths that, you know, we should be we should be laboring for the Lord. We should be making investments in those around us for the glory of God. Um, we shouldn't be extracting value. We shouldn't be defrauding others um, for our own self-aggrandizement and profit. And uh yeah. And so I think I think you know I'm glad we're having this discussion. I hope it I hope it continues elsewhere and and the word gets out and then changes are made. Yeah. You know, in the market, people are always 
in some ways taking advantage of superior knowledge. We we get educations, we have experience, we learn things, and I, you know, you will have different skills that I don't have, and I might have skills that somebody else that doesn't have. So a, p- a piece of property will be more valuable in the hands of one person than it would be in another in in the hands of another person just because they have different abilities and opportunities. Um, but you know, to the the whole analogy, and, and so to complete that thought. I think the challenge is that a lot of people will say, of course, I'm not going to share everything I know with other people. So it becomes equally valuable to them because that's what I bring to the marketplace is this value add of my knowledge and my experience. Um, But to the analogy that I raised earlier of you have a farm and you've got potentially oil reserves under that. I think the test that Christians need to ask, I mean, just goes back to the golden rule is if I were on the other side of this transaction, would I want somebody to share this information with me? And it's treat others as as you would want to be treated yourself. And I think that's what Christians have to continually go back to. Yeah, there are times when it's just, you know, that car is better in my hands because I know how to drive a race car and you don't. So it's more valuable to me than you, yeah, you know, right. it just might be skill <laughs> differential, right? Um, or yeah. or whatever that is, or I'm a real estate developer, so I know what to do with this piece of property and you don't. It's more valuable in my hands than it is in somebody else's hands, whatever the case may be. But different aptitudes, different opportunities, different networks, whatever those things are, that's that's a different situation than... I'm going to withhold information from you that would um, cause you to act differently if you had that information. Mm-hmm. And and that's, of course, that's why insider trading is illegal in the first place, because we know that people with special information, when they profit, they profit at the expense mm-hmm. of the people who don't have that information. And that's why the Securities and Exchange Commission has stopped that from happening because there is a loser. It's just not just a matter of cutting your losses. There are losers. There are people kept holding the bag. Matt, on this legislation, uh, finally here, do you think it has any chance of succeeding? Or is this just something that you and I are pontificating about that Washington, D.C. is going to just be Washington, D.C.? Well, I'll say uh, I think the if the intent of the legislation is to change policy, I think it has a chance to succeed in that. Like I said earlier, in a, in a few times throughout this podcast, you could just get a real change. They could just, they, you know, maybe you get Speaker Johnson to do something. I don't know. Maybe Chuck Schumer agrees and they do something in the Senate. Um, the fact that we're having a conversation, I think, raises the pressure on members generally. You know, we're going into an election year. The last thing they would want would be a, a, a campaign uh, challenger calling them out on some um, uh, questionable trades to profit themselves. Uh, in terms of the success of the actual piece of legislation, I, I don't know. I you, you pointed out earlier, these members exist on the margins and they're, you know, I think the House Republicans have a, I think they have a, a one seat majority. Uh, I don't know how many Democrats would, would cross the aisle and vote with them on, on this were Speaker Johnson to bring it up. I do know that there's a there's now a, a bill that was introduced in the Senate by Senator Fetterman. I think this happened recently. So that's always a good sign once you've got kind of parallel bills moving in both chambers. It's generally a sign that, that there's a, a larger kind of coalition forming around this issue. Um, and it, it remains to be seen what President Biden would do if it were to make his desk. But I say all that to say that it's probably a low probability that this legislation becomes law. But um, but that there's a high likelihood that there will be a change in behavior among members. There might even be a policy change at some other level we're not even aware of at this point. Well, 
President Biden may be exhibit A in the case of how to make yourself wealthy while spending your entire life uh, in quote unquote public service, right? And of course, <laughs> yeah. there's a ton of smoke around that particular fire. And, and my expectation, frankly, is that sometime but in he, 2024, but, there but will that be. Might make him more, that might make him more incentivized to do something because he's not a member of Congress. Why, you know, if he's made all these illicit business transactions when he was vice president, and who knows what he's got going on now, but what's to stop him from saying, hey, Congress, you can't do it. You know, he's the president and it's a little different for him. Well, We'll see it all play out. But uh, yeah. for each of us, the things that we control um, is just thinking about the way we treat people and whether the uh, things that we do in business and life, if we're doing it for our own interest or as we are compelled to do, as we are required to do as just disciples of Jesus, to look out primarily for the interests of others. And uh, Quick examination of our own hearts and our own motives usually exposes what that is. The hard part is having the courage to do the right thing when we feel like there's a bag of money uh, sitting out there waiting for us to grab if we just make a, what may feel like a small compromise. Uh, so they deal with it in Washington, D.C., but we deal with it in any town USA as well. And mm -hmm. so this has been a good, important conversation for us. And Matt, thank you for bringing it to our attention and for your time today. Thanks for having me, Joseph. Great talking to you. And friends, we thank you for joining us, part of this conversation today and listening in. Uh, do share it with a friend if you've learned something, because they probably will as well. Make sure you like and subscribe wherever you're finding this so you can get the next episode, which is released every Tuesday and Friday. Also, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, you want to yell at me or suggest another topic, feel free to email me at outstanding at washingtonstand.com. It's always a blessing to hear uh, from you when you do. It's been my pleasure to be with you. Look forward to next time. My name is Joseph Backholm, and this has been Outstanding. Outstanding is a production of The Washington Stand, where you can find news and commentary from a biblical worldview.